Good morning, First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. I'm so glad you could tune in with us on this Sunday morning. Uh, we are here. We are at the conclusion of the Gospel of John. And this morning's message is entitled, Follow Me. And so we're going to be reading this last section in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 25. I hope you have your Bibles open. I hope you're uh, reading along and following along. And of course, always know uh, we miss you. We wish, we wish that you could be here uh, with us on Sunday morning. But please, if there's anything we can do for you, always reach out and talk to your pastors. Call them um, and let us hear from you and see uh, how we can minister to you. Know that we're praying for each and every one of you uh, by name. But without further ado, I hope you've got your Bibles open. John 21, starting in verse 18. We'll read all the way to the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, the Bible says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had uh, leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only... If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, we do thank you for this word, and we thank you for this very important charge that you gave to the Apostle Peter, Lord, after his restoration to follow you. Lord, you call each and every one of your children to follow you, and so, Lord, I pray that we would do that diligently. Lord, you would reveal sin in our lives, and you would make us more into the image of your Son um, through repentance and in through faith. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, this morning, here we are. We are at the final verses of the Gospel of John. It has been a long, glorious journey of almost 90 sermons through this book. Um, and if you remember from last week in the previous passage, we learned about the restoration of the Apostle Peter. We noted some of the responsibilities that he had been given as an under-shepherd of Christ's flock. Well, this morning, we're going to get a glimpse of how this under-shepherd is going to be ministered to by the great shepherd. In his ministry to Peter, we'll see how Peter is reminded to pay attention to what concerns him personally and to not be overly consumed with what's going on in the lives of others such that it causes him to stumble. 
Let's go ahead and look straight at our text this morning. Let's begin by looking at verses 18 and 19 again. Remember, Peter had just been restored by the Lord. The Lord uh, gave him the charge to feed his sheep, tend his lamb, shepherd my sheep. And now he says this to the apostle Peter. He says in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Here we see a prophesied death glorifying to God. A prophesied death glorifying God. To God, And that's kind of hard for us to, to open up with, but uh, let's examine exactly what we see. In, in this text, we see Jesus speaking these words and speaking about the manner of Peter's death in his older years. Uh, he does this by reminding Peter of the freedom that he had when he's, he was young. He says, you could go wherever you want, wherever you want, and now your hands will be stretched and someone else will bring you where you do not wish to go. Uh, now, it's a helpful note to consider that in the days of the early church, it was common knowledge that when you heard that phrase, uh, stretch out your hands, when you heard that phrase, it meant crucifixion. Uh, that makes a pretty good case for us to understand that Jesus was, was here prophesying that Peter would die a death of crucifixion. He would die by way, in his old age, a death by crucifixion. Which, by the way, would be yet one more way that Peter would follow in the steps of his Savior. He would follow him by dying even as Jesus died upon the cross. Now, it's reported that Peter uh, did eventually die by crucifixion. We don't have that in the scriptures, by the way, but we do have it in uh, church history and other uh, historical documents. Uh, Eusebius mentions in it in his work in ecclesiastical history, as does Tertullian. Uh, Eusebius informs us that Peter was crucified upside down. The early uh, commentator Jerome tells us the reason he was crucified upside down is because Peter did not wish or did not think himself worthy to die in the same manner of his Lord. And so here we have a prophecy from the mouth of our Savior of the manner in which Peter would die. But, but it's very interesting, did you notice this? It's very interesting the way John comments on this particular prophecy. Uh, depending on the date when this book was written, Peter's death would have probably been uh, much earlier than the time uh, this was written. But, but here's the interesting part. Look again at John's commentary in verse 19. It says, Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Can, can I just ask you a question that, that struck me when I read this and was studying this this week? How often do we think about death bringing glory to God? Do we ever think about death in those terms? <laughs> just, just think about and consider how many of uh, our Christian heritage, within our Christian heritage, how many died martyrs' deaths and by their deaths glorified God? For many of these martyrs, we know nothing of them about anything really in their lives. We don't know where they grew up, what schools they went to, what churches they attended, or things like this. But we do know about their deaths and how their deaths glorified God as they faced their end. 
And it's a wonderful encouragement for us to see how God sustains his people even in the face of death. Those died to glory, to the glory of God. Now listen, obviously none of us know how the Lord will call us home. We don't know that. But if this is something that God is glorified by, is this something, if this is something, death, if this is something we can glorify God in, then don't you think we ought to think about how we can face it or or ways when we face it that we might glorify him? We think about our attitudes and our approach being one that keeps all things at the center of glorifying God. J.C. Ryle provides us with some very helpful guidance here. Listen to what he says. He says, we may glorify God in death by being ready for it whenever it comes. The Christian who is found like a sentinel at his post, like a servant with his loins girded and his lamp burning, with a heart packed up and ready to go. The man whom sudden death by the common consent of all who knew him is sudden glory. This, this is a man whose end brings glory to God. We may glorify God in death by patiently enduring its pains. The Christian whose spirit has complete victory over the flesh, who quietly feels the pains of his earthly tabernacle plucked up with great bodily agonies and yet never murmurs or complains, but silently enjoys inward peace. This, this again, is a man whose end brings glory to God. We may glorify God in death by testifying to others the comfort and support that we find in the grace of Christ. It is a great thing when a mortal man can say with David, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The Christian who like Standfast in Pilgrim's Progress can stand for a while in the river and talk calmly to his companion saying, my foot is fixed, sure, my toilsome days are ended. This This is a man whose end brings glory to God. Deaths like these leave a mark on the living and are not soon forgotten. Let us pray while we live in health that we may glorify God in our end. Let us leave it to God to choose the where and when and how and all the manner of our departing. Let us only ask that it may glorify God. What sobering words those are as we approach that difficult, difficult subject. Now, after Jesus gave this prophecy concerning Peter's death, we see him now turning to him and telling him, Peter, follow me. Now, a point we may draw from the way in which these two things are placed together in our text is that regardless of what might be in store in our future, we are called and commanded to follow Jesus now. I want you to hear that. Regardless of what is ahead of us, regardless of what is coming, for the Christian, we are called to follow Jesus now. Uh, You and I, we must not allow our future, nor our present circumstances, to get in the way of following Jesus right now. Remember, Jesus had just told Peter that he was going to die by way of crucifixion. And and to hear those words from Jesus, it it would certainly give any one of us pause to, uh, and also probably be the source of many other questions. We wouldn't want to just quickly move past that. Wait, what are you saying, Jesus? You're saying I'm going to die? Don't move on from that. I want to stay there and talk to you a little bit more about what that's going to be like. But in our text, Jesus doesn't open this up for further comment on Peter's part. He simply tells Peter, follow me. Uh, Can I ask you, how is it with you? 
Is there something that you are allowing to get in the way of your walk with Jesus right now? Is there some circumstance in your life that you are allowing to hold you up in your call to follow Jesus right now? Maybe you're currently saying something like this to the Lord. Lord, I want to follow you and I will follow you once you release me from this difficult marriage. See, my unbelieving husband or wife, they're in the way and I just, I just can't serve you as long as I'm married to this difficult person. Uh, maybe you're saying, Lord, I will serve you and I will follow you once you send me my Mr. or Mrs. Right. I need that part taken care of first and then I'll dedicate my life to your service. Or Lord, I will follow you once you release me from this awful employer who demands every bit of my time. Maybe some of our students or children listening to this feel like they can't really follow Jesus until you're out of school or out of your parents' homes. But you see, Jesus calls and commands us to follow him now. He doesn't say wait until those circumstances are all taken care of. He says, follow me, follow me now, not tomorrow, not the day after, but now. This is the very point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 7. There he lists a number of different circumstances. Please go and read that chapter. Paul's just listing circumstances that God's people face in this life. Uh, things like being married to an unbeliever or desiring to be married or even being a slave. And, and you know what Paul's response and counsel is to each one of those people in those particular circumstances? He says, don't sit around waiting for your circumstances to change. Instead, serve the Lord where you are. Uh, in your current circumstance, no matter what it might be, serve your Lord right now. Well, apparently after Jesus had said these words to Peter, he, he literally then began following Jesus. He was walking with Jesus, following in his steps, literally. So Jesus and Peter are walking together. And, and what are we told in the text? We're told uh, that Peter noticed John following them. And seeing John struck a chord of curiosity within Peter's heart. Having heard from Jesus how he was going to die, uh, he now wonders what's in store for, for my good friend John here. Jesus responds with what appeared to be a slight rebuke when he says this in verse 22. He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That's a third thing we see here in this text. Now, regardless of whether difficult providences are shared, we are to follow Jesus focused. Let me say this again. Regardless of whether difficult providences are shared, we are to follow Jesus focused. No doubt, when some difficult providences come our way, it can be so tempting, can it, to, to wonder why the Lord has brought this on us and maybe not somebody else that we know. Right? I, I suppose there probably is some truth to the old saying that misery loves company. Right? If, we, if we're going to have a hard time, others ought to have a hard time also. There's something inside us that has a tendency to always ask, why am I the only one who has to deal with this? We see this in our children, don't we? One of your children gets in trouble and, and they look at their sibling and they say, well, what about him? 
But, but friends, this attitude and this line of questioning, it, it really isn't healthy for us at all. In fact, it often leads people into self-pity and resentment either towards God or others who aren't experiencing the same troubles. You and I, church, must learn to accept the fact that God has different plans for each one of us. God's plan for Peter was to die by way of crucifixion, to glorify God in that way. His plan for John was to die in a deathbed in old age. The two had different paths to go down, but each were following Jesus. And by God's grace, each ended up at the same place with the Lord in heaven. It doesn't do us any good to sit around wondering why me and not him or her. It's enough for us to know that God is the one who has brought these things into our lives and he has some good purpose in doing so. Instead of focusing our attention on what is or isn't happening in the lives of others, friends, the thing for us to do is to accept God's will in our lives and follow Jesus with focus. Follow him as he endured the trials set before him, as he entrusted himself to the Father to see him through each step. Just as the Father sustained him, so also you will be sustained, church member. The only way we can get through the difficulties in this life is by looking to Jesus. Friends, he is the answer. He is always the answer. Now, Peter may have been genuinely concerned about what the Lord had in store for John's future. I don't necessarily doubt that. I'm not sure his intentions or motives here. After all, they were close friends. Jesus had told Peter uh, how he was going to die. So it's easy for us to see how Peter would be curious about what would happen to his brother. Uh, But the thing to watch out for when we find curiosity peeking out its head in our lives is that curiosity, friends, curiosity must not be allowed to get in the way of our obedience. A curiosity must not be allowed to get in the way of of our obedience. Jesus had just told Peter to follow him. He had just said it. But all of a sudden, now he wants to know something that God hasn't revealed. And and now this unrevealed, this mysterious thing that Peter uh, doesn't know is getting all the focus of his attention. Curiosity, again, it must not get in the way of our obedience to follow Jesus. And really, to put it a different way, we should be careful not to allow ourselves uh, to be so consumed to know the secret counsel of God that we neglect to pay attention to his revealed will. Let me just say this in in an easier way. Don't be so consumed with the mystery that you neglect the revealed. Don't be so consumed with the mystery that you neglect the revealed. What do I mean by that? Remember, Jesus had just told Peter in in plain language what was required of him. He has told Peter what the Lord's will was for his life. It was for him to follow Jesus, to specifically care for Christ Jesus' sheep uh, by, by loving them, feeding them, and caring for them as we saw last week. That is really all Peter needed to know as far as it was concerning him. But isn't this the case? So many Christians, even though they have God's will revealed for their lives, they are not content with only having what he has revealed. Some Christians are so focused on trying to figure out 
the deep and, and hidden, the mysterious things of the Lord, that they fail to be faithful in the most basic Christian responsibilities clearly spelled out in his word. Uh, William Hendrickson said this. He said, there are times when questions are out of order. It has been well said that a man who has been wounded by a feathered, poisoned arrow should not begin to ask, of what wood is this arrow made? Of what bird did these feathers come? Is the person who shot it dark or fair, short or tall? That's ludicrous, right? Uh, you've been shot by a poisonous arrow. You need to do something about that, not sit around and ask questions about pondering all these questions that will not be uh, answered. You need to do something and something now. And friends, that's true with us. Uh, and what we need to do, according to Jesus, is follow him. If the Lord has brought some great trial in our lives, what good is it to wonder about whether he'll bring that same trial or even more difficult ones to another brother or sister in Christ? It's not our concern. We have enough on our plate with following Jesus as he's commanded. Let's not um, miss that and get curiosity distract from our obedience. In verse 23 now, John's going to shift and he's going to provide us with an explanatory note of how Jesus' words had been misunderstood by others in the church in his day. He says this in verse 23 of our text. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Here John explains a misunderstanding. John explains a misunderstanding. And this, this text really does show how easy it is for misunderstandings and rumors to spread among God's people. And, and church, this was especially true before the scriptures were committed to writing. Uh, before John had written this account, uh, remember these things were mostly shared by word of mouth. And, and if you've ever played the telephone game, you know how quickly things like that can be distorted. Uh, somewhere along the line, the message was misunderstood and it continued to spread. Uh, but when John finally committed his account to writing, uh, he set clear this big misunderstanding. Apparently, some had come to believe that Jesus was going to come back before John would die. And if they heard this rumor, and if they believed this rumor, you can imagine how people anticipated the return of Jesus as John got older and older. With each passing year, they must have been more and more excited about the prospect of Christ's return. And when I, when I look at this passage, and particularly this issue, I just thank God that we have the scriptures in writing today. Uh, today, we have a written record we can turn to. We don't have to rely on the, 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 the poor, um, uh, fallible memories of others who are prone to get things wrong. And this is an opportunity for praise unto God and his work and giving us his word. Let's now turn to our conclusion here in the last two verses of this gospel. John says, this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not be able to contain the books that would be written. In these final words, we're given this assurance from John that his testimony is true. John assures us that his testimony is true. Notice he says that this is the disciple who testifies of these things and we know that his testimony is true. 
See, that pronoun we, it implies something. It implies here that there were others who knew firsthand things that John wrote about. Uh, Having been there, having seen those things with their own eyes and heard them with their own ears, they would have been the first to correct any wrongful statements within the account. Uh, That a number of people knew these things firsthand and were there hearing this and didn't take issue with what John had wrote should be a great comfort to us today. It's a further affirmation that God is the one who has inspired and preserved his written record in his word. Now before John gives his final amen, he sets out to make an important point here. Uh, His point is, uh, first off, the gospel account isn't the whole story. This gospel account isn't the whole story. That's what he says. Uh, He points out that there is much more to consider. Some of these things that have been written by other men who were inspired by God and, and their works have been included within the holy pages of scripture, yes, but he would also have us to know that Jesus said and did many other things in his earthly ministry and not only during his earthly ministry, but even since the time of his intercession at the right hand of God the Father. He has done so many things that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written about it. Now, regardless if we want to translate or interpret this text as literal or not, figurative or not, one thing is sure. And I want you to hear me. What we have in this gospel account is incomplete. It is not the absolute full record of all that Jesus said and did. Now, immediately, uh, there may be some warning signs that are starting to perk up in you, right? You're starting to maybe think, uh, hey, wait a minute. Are you trying to say that God's word is incomplete? Yes, I am. But, but let me finish. It's incomplete by design. Hear me out. See, the Lord has given a purpose in giving to us these particular scriptures. His purpose wasn't to satisfy the curiosity a person might have. His purpose isn't to provide us with a library worth of pages to read so that we might learn what his message is to us if we were to read from pages one to one million. The Lord's concern is with the scripture's sufficiency, not our satisfied curiosities. Uh, The Lord's concern is with Scripture's sufficiency, not our satisfied curiosities. He has given us all that we need to know versus all that we might be curious to know. That's really what's at war here. He didn't give us the Scriptures just to satisfy our curiosity. He gives us His Word for the particular purpose of revealing His Son as our Savior. Uh, You can imagine if the scriptures had to be written to satisfy curiosity. How big would they be and how many of us would even dare to begin the journey of going through them? God has given us just enough, exactly what we need in 66 books of the Bible. So yes, the Lord was very careful and deliberate in what he chose to include and exclude in supplying us with holy scriptures. Uh, Pastor Gordon Ketty said this, he says, who would leave out anything of what Jesus had done unless it were by the guiding inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Our natural inclination would have been to produce a voluminous annal of all that Jesus did in much of the way that endless facts are produced today from family genealogies to government statistics. Even this great gospel is necessarily incomplete. Why? Why? 
Sufficiency is more important than exhaustive completeness. Jesus wants us to know the wood and not be bogged down in the trees. He'll be happy enough if we know what he tells us and take it to heart and not bother ourselves about what he might have told us. His goal is what we're told in John 20, 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's his purpose. His aim is for us to have saving faith and newness of life, not a dry, comprehensive, academic knowledge of every little detail that we might find in this life. Hear me, church. The Lord's purpose in the scripture is saving faith, not full, comprehensive knowledge. The Lord's purpose in the scripture is saving faith, not full, comprehensive knowledge. Listen, God's grand purpose in giving his word is to give us life by revealing his son to us. His word is given to us to teach us about what we're to believe concerning God and what duties God requires of us. His word teaches us about Jesus Christ and about our responsibilities to trust in him for salvation. How once we are saved, how we ought to walk in the obedience he's provided and the law uh, that he's in a gratitude of the salvation that he's given us. This is all we really need to know in this life, isn't it? Hear, hear me. God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, right? But the scripture's purpose is not to satisfy every curiosity you might have. Now, in the scriptures, there are tremendous principles that guide those curiosities to where they need to go in a way that's productive and God-honoring. But the Bible does not provide us with an answer to every question we might have, but it does provide for us an answer to what we most need. And this is something that's expressed in an English translation of an old Latin saying. It says this way. It says, if you know Christ, it is enough if you are ignorant of other things. If you are unacquainted with Christ, it is nothing if you know everything else. Now listen, this doesn't mean that our faith is anti-intellectual and that we ought not to ask questions. I hope you didn't hear that in that way. Uh, the Bible is sufficient, but remember what God's purpose is in his word. His purpose is what John has given to us all right, already, that we would know his son, the Lord Jesus, and that we would be saved, and in that salvation, we would have new life. That's why he's given us uh, his word. And so I want you to know that and rest in that. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you know Jesus? Are you marked by a knowledge of Jesus by your obedience to his command to follow him? Are you, like Peter, a follower of Jesus? Or friend, do you not have any interest in following Jesus? Yes, maybe you know a whole lot of academic facts and you like to to answer and think about all the philosophical, deep and mysterious things you can know about the scriptures, about the doctrine of God, and so on and so forth. I'm not concerned with that as much as I'm concerned with this question. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, and are you following him? My prayer is that every one of us would hear this word, it would know and be assured that we're following Christ. Not looking at other people and their difficult providence, but, but knowing what God has called us to do and, and staying focused in our task of following him. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his prayer and his help in this. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your beautiful gospel.
Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that this word is all we need. Lord, it's sufficient for us to know you. And though, Lord, it's not given to us to satisfy our curiosities about every question we might have, it is absolutely enough and sufficient for life and godliness to give us purpose, to make us aware of our purpose, to make us aware of why we were created and whom we ought to serve. And so, Lord, I just pray that your word now would work as I know it's faithful to do. And Father, I pray that you would use this in the life of our church, that every believer here would be assured of the word's truth, of its testimony of truth, and that those who are unbelievers would be convicted on whether or not they have a relationship with you, and they would confess, bow a knee, and trust Christ for salvation. We love you, Lord. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stay safe, church. Hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you hopefully soon. God bless.